Hello there. Welcome to the Yummy Factor, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the mesmerizing world of filming food commercials. I'm Xander, food and tabletop director, and I'll be sitting down with the true masters of the craft, including directors, food stylists, practical special effects wizards, and anyone involved in this crazy world to hopefully shed some light on what it takes to make food look absolutely mesmerizing on screen. Today, I'm talking to the legendary Ernst Kalf, a veteran tabletop director and producer who's not only witnessed the incredible evolution of food cinematography since the early 70s, but has played a pivotal role in shaping its journey. And welcome, Ernst, to the show. Thanks for inviting me to the show. <laughs> Ernst is one of the veterans of tabletop. And I wanted to know from you, do you still remember the very first tabletop commercial that you did? Yeah, well, no, not to be boring, but let's put it this way. Uh, I started off as a photographer. And uh, so I went to art school, Guildford. But before I did an apprenticeship at, at then time, now we're talking 70s, yeah? The photographer, his name is Klaus Peter Oldvoist. He was based in, in Düsseldorf. I think he still runs a studio, but by now he must be over 80. I don't know. He must be old. He was specialized in food, tabletop, photography. And at that time, it was all big 8 by 10 cameras, you know, one slide, one big thing with a, one clack and bang. And you could smell it. And it used to be a big, big, big flash with uh, 5,000 watts per second. So this goes up to 50,000 watts hour though those lights were not available at those times for a film but the benefits of this very powerful flashlight was that you could work with f-stops which at that time in big cameras would be beyond 22 or 23 or 32 or whatever it was it wouldn't they would go up to 156 or 164 wow so you had a real depth of field that was a big big and big lenses everything had to be in focus and and uh, yeah whatever so when you flash off this flash, it, it smelled of ozone. You know, it was literally burning the ozone in the room. Oh, healthy. Healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't use spray guns then. <laughs> but uh, what happened is, of course, that uh, it was uh, cold light. So you could really work with ice cream and everything in little setups that you had to you had deep freezers that you would build in three zones, like you had a deep zone where you minus, in, talking in degree, minus 20, 25 degree. And then we had stages where it gets warmer and warmer. So we're able to make the ice cream look good and have little small melts here, small melt there, but a nice texture and all that. But that's, you, you mean like a cold light because it was like a flashlight for like for a moment? It's a flashlight yeah. and you just have a guiding mm -hmm. light, uh, which you need for for setting it all mm -hmm. up. But uh, the studio was very well tempered, no temperatures like, because the, the comparison that I moved in later when we did film, we had only big lights, uh, 10Ks, 20Ks, whatever you needed for high speed. But even if you do just an ordinary uh, tabletop, especially with food or ice cream, then it gets very difficult. The temperatures were so high. So you only had a very limited time of putting in the nicely made ice cone or whatever. And uh, it would melt away in film within seconds. Not only ice cream, I mean like anything. Anything. Salads burning. 
you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So I've, I've seen salad burning. <laughs> Combusting. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good school, but, but uh, and, and, and techniques we learned, they were very good because Olaf was, was a specialist. He was a very, very eager man working in little details. He would put single drops on the, the bottles by hand so it looks nice and 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 and, and it would go too far now we had lots of techniques how to make a beautiful etiquette so it was not just lighting it was also like food styling itself at those times photographers more or less were their own styling we had uh, chefs from good hotels who did a little bit of food styling or you had the guys if, if you had a big ice cream company so these guys were the ice technicians coming from the big companies. Also, like the brands themselves had their technicians. So the brand themselves had their own technician, the ice cream technician. And uh, but those guys were, of course, not really photo experience or depended on how much they did. They got better, better, better. But uh, and then th that time, Owen Force was specialized in all these things, and he had so little nice tricks, like uh, uh, to keep an ice longer in in the set. Also there, you would have problems that it starts melting or whatever. So we, we dressed up the, the ice cone or, or the, the whatever it was in, in the deep freezers where we had three different uh, stages of temperatures. So very cold uh, for down. So but you took it up, you work on it, you put a little uh, fresh fruits with it and things like that. But all these fruits were deep frozen because every summer we would go to the markets and buy the most beautiful, most expensive uh, fruit. Oh, wow. Because model making wasn't that experience at that time to make a real looking strawberry. So you would like in the summer, go get your fruit, deep freeze it. So months later, you could still use that beautiful fruit. Wow, that's yes. crazy. Of course, we had to, uh, dry ice. Yeah, dry ice. So that was like a minus a hundred something. So really ice cold to burn your fingers. Uh, but also very funny, you would drop a piece in the toilet and it starts up smoking. <laughs> All these funny things you do. But we would go out literally in the summer, buy fresh fruits, deep freeze them. And we shock freeze them with the dried ice. So it really goes fast. <laughs> so whenever needed at the times... Uh, It was possible to fly in cherries from uh, New Zealand or Australia, or whatever, but that was so expensive that it was better to go and get your own cherries in the summer and deep freeze it. And you had to sort them out hand by hand. So they're not cloaked together because then they would mesh up and it, you couldn't work with it. So we had film cases uh, of old film material which are always very nice boxes. Kodak, Aqua, all these people have really nice, good boxes, solid, light proof, whatever. So we would put them in and have some nice little uh, paper, kitchen towel paper, put them in there, lay them hand by hand in there. So you used the packaging from film stock to place in the frozen fruit? Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it, and in those days, anything was analog, everything was. So uh, your film paper came in boxes. Uh, if it, they got bigger, then they were in sleeves, but uh, they were really good boxes and they worked perfectly for that. Like film cans, but that came later because at that time I was doing photography. And, uh, but it, at least, so the thing is you would buy your fruits, you would freeze them, you keep them till you need them. 
it was also at that time, uh, uh, England was, the, uh, I couldn't talk about America because I haven't been in the, in the 70s. I didn't know what the American market would do and how they would work. But uh, London was the big place to be for dummies, for uh, uh, fake ice cubes. Uh, they had people there sitting, uh, polishing. Uh, and it was also a material thing because nowadays we have so many different materials that we can mix up and plastics, everything that, that in the seventies, it was just more or less starting. And those people, they, they usually came from London. They, we had calls. Somebody would say, well, I'm, uh, I'm David. I'm, uh, I've got some, uh, uh, plastic ice cubes. Are you interested? So we say, yeah, come, come over. And so he would come and you would have a little basket with five or six ice cubes in it, perfectly made. And then you would sit there and say, oh, they look perfect. And could, could you, could you round the edge a little bit? So we did a little bit more. Uh, we don't want them thorny. We want them like they're all a little bit melted, you know, and that kind of stuff. So they would build this and come back and they say, well, okay, give me a month. I come back with the, with the rounded corners of the ice cubes, <laughs> rounded corners and everything. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were really expensive anyway. So it was an expensive thing, but uh, we always bought uh, when we could. And so, and, and then of course, all these special, special questions come up. No, when I put an ice cube in a glass of water and it's deep freeze, really cold, it actually, it cracks, you know, you have these little cracks inside and then it looks beautiful. So, okay, can you make this, uh, this ice cube and we want cracks in it, you know? So of course, the, what they do, they take 20 of their beautiful handmade ice cubes, put a hammer on it, crack, see what comes. And out of the 10, maybe one or two work. And with the way that you can put them together again, and then they look like cracks ice cubes. So expensive, long time uh, waiting. And, uh, but of course, if you had them, you were far ahead of other photographers or people who didn't do this. Yeah, of course. And I mean, at that time, technology, it's like anything was still being developed. Do you have some exciting stories about? The first technology being pushed forward to yeah. be able to create these visuals. This all started slow hands. I mean, your high speed cameras, then you, you, you already had high speed with 120 frames per second. But of course, there were like these big photosonics. They came all out of the, the, the NASA projects where they would film their super rockets. Yeah. So like research industry and weapon industry and military industry. That's where it comes from. And of course you had also people like uh, the Oxford scientific and those guys who were always interested to see how a bullet flies and it splits a poker card. So it starts off with photography. So there's a couple of guys who invented uh, this synchronized flash things and everything. It's very complicated, but it's very fun to look into it. And of course, then uh, after that, everybody said, okay, if I can do this in photography, I want to do this in film as well. So they, so again, it's scientific that, that, that actually brings all this forward. Mainly, of course, we're studying projects, uh, bullets flying through the air, whatever, see how they do. How, do they spin? Do they what? How long can they keep their balance and how all that kind of stuff? So it's part is uh, is scientific for 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 normal research and and the, but the big part is always army. And then at some point somebody had the idea: let's shoot some food flying around with army research equipment. Well, yeah, you you, you know that drop. You know where the drop 
and the next drop falls into the drop. I mean, you have the, the drop falls into uh, to a liquid, then it builds the crown. And, and if it goes further, then out of the crown in the middle comes a little pin going up of the liquids. And then when you time it well, you have another drop falling onto that thing that comes in the middle out of the crown up. And 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 makes sort of a, a top of a mushroom, and so and and, and that that sort of where it goes out again. So these things uh, were early done already in the photography, and then the the question, of course, is how do I put this into green milk, coffee, or whatever? But these all come it's very late, much much later. If you look at the seventies. The cameras, the film the material, 400 ASA was like, wow, uh, ASA, uh, that, that would give you two, three stops more. And now we have thousands of ISO. <laughs> now we have thousands of it and, and, and it's incredible. Uh, yeah. And, and then, and literally, if you do it high speed and if you had fresh things in it, like salads or whatever, and, and, uh, just to lighten it up and have it run with 400, 800 frames per second. What you've done with the photosonics and you had no way of proving it or testing it. it came much later when they had little video cameras, black and white, poor image. But now we're talking end 80s, begin 90s, 90s, mid 90s. So this is all slow development, uh, but it all, uh, with digitizing, it's, it, everything got so fast. But in order to get it lit, you would actually have a 10K or an 18K, even better, but it would be only 50 centimeters away from the product trying to mm -hmm. fill. So, 18K, <laughs> 15 centimeters away from a salad, uh, from a leaf of salad. That thing burns. I mean, it, it takes a second and the, yeah, the thing is... It ignites. It's, it's just gone. So, we had big iron uh, shields in front of the light that we could flip away fast. So it's like uh, the camera always needs so hundred many feet of uh, material before it's actually on speed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what you... It was so wasteful to shoot yeah. uh, analog high speed. So you had these thousand feet reels, you know, the big ones. Because, yeah, before like... And, speed! <laughs> Yeah, so you could get to those thousand or eight hundred frames per second. Like, obviously, it needs some time to just to get up there, you know. And and then the funny thing is, of course, you have three, four, five guys sitting there like mafiosis with their big sunglasses because they can't see anything. Then almost naked, like because it's so hot. And, uh, and then everybody waits for this speed and then uh, action and then everything has to work. The light has to be free. The mirror has to, the picture has to be there. And then, wow. And then it happens and everything falls apart. Uh, meanwhile, the salad is burning and, and all these kind of things. Uh, and then the other thing is like, you don't know if you really have it because you have to wait the next day. Right. You never knew, do I have it? So, okay, then we wait. So we do two, three, four couples and let the setup stand for the next day. You couldn't just wreck it. You have to, you have to see the, the dailies, you know, before it, it comes out. So then we wait for the daily. So we look at it. And then if there's a good shot, we had a good shot. Then we could go on to the next. So that was fun on one side, but also nerve wrecking and that kind of thing. But people... In those days, that that really were good. It was like people uh, like that used to be a company, or still is in London, 
there's this company called Asylum. And uh, the guy that, that was uh, running it for a couple of years, I think now he's retired, but it was called David Hayes. And he was sort of a model maker. He was a, they, they, they built everything. Asylum did the most amazing things still to do today. I mean, it's, uh, um, but th- those, those were people that you, you tried to work with if you were able to afford it. I mean, the other thing, but it didn't matter what you had. If it was puppeteers or you know animatronics, speaking cows, that kind of stuff. You also said, and I found it super interesting. If it wasn't for George Lucas and Star Wars, we probably wouldn't have a lot of things for tabletop today. Yes, and in fact, features always are in the lead. Let's put it this way, because they have the money, they have the time, and when all these more electronic brain working machines games like Henry or Harry, uh, old machines, but, but they're all the beginners of flame. Now flame. What do you mean like, uh, like, um, like motion control or you mean like, no, 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 no. This is just an afterwards. If you work with pictures and you want to retouch something. Oh, so like want color grading to, yeah. or like, like retouching. Color grading or SFX, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, or just, you want to typo uh, written like from hand, but without seeing a hand in the pen. So. All these animated things, you know, like for animation, they were great, uh, but also <clears throat> stop frame, motion control, all these kind of things uh, actually do come out of films for children movies. Like you have little clay puppets running around and then the stop frame motion, that kind of stuff. Um, that's actually where I see beginnings of the motion control because you had to uh, animation things. And, and and then, of course, at a certain point, you think, well, how can I do this if I adapt it for tomato that's rolling down the table? So a lot of these images where you have, like, food moving, it was made in stop motion. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit. And then the, the whole motion control, if I understand it right, it came from you want to have some camera movement. So you make a picture, move the camera a little bit, take another picture, move yeah. the camera a little bit, take another yeah. picture, move the camera. That kind of stuff. Only four frames for a second. <laughs> so you, you're counting frames more or less. And, and, uh, and you have a great team of, of, of very patient people. It's always better on that kind of work. And, um, and, and they work with, with, with centimeter with rulers and everything. They, they know exactly how far they have to open it because it has to happen in so many it has to happen in one second so it has to happen in 25 frames or 24 frames whatever and um and and uh, yeah and then the camera move has to work with it so you also have to control the light with it so maybe yeah also have to adjust the light with it <clears throat> and everything you do now in real time uh with some bolts and whatever you know but uh, at that, it was just really, it was a uh, framework, frame by frame. Mm-hmm. Just to do a fade, a fade of 25 or 45 frames, A to B, you know, picture one, uh, A and picture B. For a fade in the 80s, you would have to wait a day. Can we do a fade? So editors at that time, I think they were a little bit more talented than nowadays, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But at that time, an, an, an editor was also your know, post-production for the end because it all happened uh, at the editing tape. You had a steam bag, eight plates, two, two, two pictures. It was, it was, you would literally cut your negative. Your editor actually was so good because then you would know if it's only a 12 frame, 
fade uh, from one picture to the other, or if you would do a double exposure overlayer. And uh, this was happening on a machine which called, was it the Oxbury? I think it was the Oxbury, which again is a technical uh, kind of machine that where you put in your, your lead A and your lead B. And so they had two different pictures that you like to dissolve into each other. It was a single exposure thing, frame by frame. But the benefits of that was nowadays everybody does a fade 50 50 or, mm-hmm. you know, in percentage or how it looks. At those days, you had specialists that would do, I want lead A to do only 30% and lead B doing this in 50%. So you could work with the frames. The one would be darker or lighter. So basically, like people put way more thought into these basic things like a fade, where nowadays it's just like a click of a mouse. It's like a fade is a fade and you don't even, you know, care about it. Yeah, you don't think about it. Yeah. Bananas. Well, a title, you know, just titles. It's all on the Oxbury and, and, uh, and you get really great people, big minds and big, big, big heads doing clever, clever thinking. Also, one thing we take for granted nowadays is image stabilization. You know, you can just flick a switch on yeah. your lens nowadays and your image is stable, but like doing a camera move and like being in a close up or a macro world and stabilizing that stuff. That is also something that came little by little. How did you do camera movements back in the day? Uh, well, the moves, of course, you did as many uh, as needed uh, before you think that was a good move. Just panning, tilting, all these kind of things. And of course, you would choose uh, the DOP that's good in this. <laughs> and uh, when the zooms came out, they were actually that good that you could film with it. And with a zoom, you mean? So with, with, a, with a camera movement on a dolly, And a zoom, you're already near a motion control, yeah, because you could start from white with a with a move to the right, and then with a tilt from up to down, and you could move in. So yet you your three axes is always the problem with the axis. How many axes can I control by hand? I mean, because you have the guy that pushes the dolly, you have the guy that pulls the focus and does the zoom, and we didn't have these nice video monitors where you saw, we had them, but those were all TVs. I mean, clumsy old things. So you had people actually pushing the things. It was not a motion control. It was motion made by hand, by people. But I think uh, feature film like Star Wars and things like that are definitely, uh, they made things possible and people start thinking in more detail. How can I get this move? And advertising always has benefited from this. That's it for this episode of The Yummy Factor. If you like the show, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have questions, you can find the contact information in the description box. The Yummy Factor airs every second Wednesday of the month. 